Well, good morning again, everyone. It is good to see everyone here this morning. So back when I was a kid, uh, one of my favorite toys slash television shows slash movies, whatever, was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, I had a poster in my bedroom wall. I uh, pretended to be them when I played. I had the action figures. I had their movies. I watched the TV show. I had their video game on an actual floppy disk that you put in a Commodore 64. So I played on that, like the floppy disk that actually was floppy when you, anyway. My favorite turtle was always Raphael. Everyone always knew their favorite turtle back then. And the turtle's intellectual property is still going. They are still making shows, toys, movies, even today. But as I think back on it, I kind of have to admit, it's kind of a stupid name. <laughs> right? We're all used to it. Right? It's been around for so long, I never thought much about it. I, I heard about it as a kid and just grew up with it. It was like one long word, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Right? It just, well, of course, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but come on. Oh, what a weird, can you imagine pitching this idea to a group of executives? You know, like, okay, so we start with teenage. Okay, cool age demographic is the group we're targeting, so I'm with you so far. Okay, then we go to mutant. Okay, didn't see that one coming, but I'm listening. Then, ninja. Okay, teenage mutant ninjas. Sounds bizarre, but I think maybe we can sell that. Oh, wait, no, 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 no. I'm not done. <laughs> we finish with turtles. <laughs> Get in my office. <laughs> but it sounds ridiculous, right? But, but kudos to the guy who said, this is going to be the next big thing. Right? We're in. He saw something beyond the madness and saw what it was and saw that it was probably the, the best decision to make. Now, I don't know if this is how this all went down, uh, but it's how I picture it in my head, so that's what we're going with. But have you ever encountered something that sounds or looks or seems just ridiculous at the time? And, you know, the height of foolishness, but then you try it and you're like, yeah, this is actually kind of the way to go here. This is not such a bad idea. Well, today's topic actually speaks directly to this for us. We are in the final week of our Metamorphosis series. We're talking about five major changes that we undergo as followers of Jesus. Now, these aren't the only changes that we make, uh, and they're not in any particular order, uh, but they're all from Scripture, and as we follow Jesus, uh, these are changes that we can look to to kind of gauge whether we're on the right track or not. So first, we talked about our Metamorphosis from a worldly point of view to a spiritual point of view. Uh, then we talked about our change from a selfish mindset to a selfless mindset. Then we talked about moving from comfortable to missional, or wishinal to missional, as we said. Uh, and then last week we talked about moving from cowardice to courage. Now this week, we're talking about our metamorphosis from foolishness to wisdom. But as with some of these other metamorphoses, these other changes, there's a bit of a twist to this one. So we've been anchoring our series in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This transformation and renewal of our minds is grand in scale. It's a huge change in our lives. It's more than just putting on a new shirt, as I've said, even a new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle shirt. Right? This is a complete renovation in your life. So let's get into our passage for this week. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 17, starting in verse 17, which is on page 540, if you're using the Bibles here in your seats. Uh, and this is Paul speaking here to the church in Corinth. So I'll give you just a minute to turn there. It's again 1 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 17. First Corinthians 1, verse 17. For Christ did not send me, Paul, to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now, just a quick break here. If you'll notice, if you're reading in your Bible along, uh, you'll see there's a section break there. Uh, in the NIV, the section heading says, Christ crucified is God's power and wisdom. And it's a fine section heading, um, but it shouldn't really be right here. Right? These section headings weren't there in the original writings. Neither were the big numbers and the little numbers. Right? The big numbers are the chapter numbers. The little numbers are the verse numbers. These, along with the section headings, were inserted years and years later uh, to help us to be able to find certain sections easier. Um, and actually, they can be very helpful, right? We were able to find right where to go whenever I said, hey, we're in 1 Corinthians 1, 17. We knew exactly. We can use the table of contents. We can look up the page number, whatever it is. It's right there. But sometimes the section heading and the chapters uh, there uh, can make you think that verse 17 is separate from verse 18 somehow. But it, it really isn't. In fact, verse 17 is actually the beginning of the thought in verse 18. They're completely connected. So while, um, while the section headings and chapter numbers and things like that can be helpful, just remember that they were human editions long after the fact, and we shouldn't take their placement or wording as perfection. Right? So I'm going to go back and read verse 17 again, and we'll <coughs> – sorry, I moved that mic away from my mouth. I'll read 17 again, and we'll just move straight into verse 18. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. 
For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. All right, so we've read the passage once. I'm going to read it again, uh, but this time I'm just going to stop periodically and we'll give some explanations and kind of work through it that way. Hang on. I was going to say a little something at the beginning of the sermon. Uh, me and my family were all hit with the flu this week. So um, while I am well enough to stand up here and, hey, um, I'm just going to be you know, kind of hiding <laughs> before and after the service. So forgive me if I'm not as talky and chatty after the service. <laughs> you don't want me to. So, okay, so let's get into the passage here. Let's dig in. Verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now, Paul, who wrote this letter, was very educated and a brilliant person. Uh, he was a gifted speaker and debater. He could persuade people with his words. He was capable of all of that. But here he's saying that he actually doesn't want this to be the case here. He, he doesn't want to leave an interaction with someone and have them go, man, he was brilliant. Right? He didn't want people impressed by him. He wanted people impressed by Jesus. He's saying here that the power of the gospel, the power of God is actually in the cross of Christ. For those of you watching online, I'm referring to the big cross that we have on our stage here. And we'll get into the craziness of all of that in a minute, but we effectively empty the cross of its power when we rely on other things for our effectiveness, strength, or power. The cross was meant to be our strength, our wisdom. Just one chapter later in the same letter, uh, Paul says this, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. That's 1 Corinthians 2.3. Something that I have struggled with at times in my life is trying to make Christianity cool enough to be credible. Um... You know, I thought if I was like if I was cool enough, or if I was at least just not too weird, uh, then Christianity could at least seem plausible uh, for folks. You know, if I laid out a good defense, if I looked smart, uh, then Christianity could be credible. And while being smart and knowing a lot of facts can indeed be helpful, that's not where the power of the gospel lies. Paul continues, verse eighteen in our passage today. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. <coughs> so we'll get to the specifics of this a little bit further down in the passage. Uh, but basically, he's saying, look, I'm saying that the cross of Christ is where our power lies. But that's going to sound stupid to those who don't believe in Jesus. <laughs> but God doesn't really care about that kind of thing. He's not trying to sound intelligent. He's much more interested in being wise. 
than trying to convince us that he is. The things of God are going to seem like foolishness to the world, but in the end, the stuff that we used to pursue, the things that we deem so wise or powerful or intelligent, these will ultimately come to nothing before the wisdom and the power of the cross. Now, this isn't saying that everything we learn and can understand here on earth is foolishness. Right? We can learn lots of things from uh, our public schooling or TED Talks or whatever, things that are, can be very useful, <coughs> even good. Right? Things like uh, learning wise spending right? or investment strategies for your money, uh, scientific advancement, job skills, mathematical inquiry, psychology, things like that. These are good, and we can continue to pursue these things. But when it comes to our priorities in life, our goals and aim in life, our purpose, it is in these larger questions where we find our answers in the foolishness of the cross. In saying that God is... <coughs> excuse me. In saying that God is destroying the wisdom of the wise or frustrating the, intelligent, the intelligence of the intelligent... He's saying that even the most wisdom or intelligence that one brings to the table will not give one purpose or fulfillment. Right? Earthly wisdom, earthly power, earthly knowledge, they cannot give us what we demand of them. It is only in the work of Jesus that we find that. Verse 20. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? So here, uh, he's not actually asking, uh, hey, where are these guys? Shouldn't they be here taking notes? Right? He's not asking that. <coughs> it's a rhetorical device. This was him saying, who do these guys think they are? Right? The, the people who are so wise and intelligent here, what is their knowledge next to God's? <coughs> Verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. What? That sounds a little weird. The sentence is a little funky uh, in its construction, uh, possibly a product of our translation into English. But essentially, Paul is saying here, but God in all his wisdom saw that even the wisest among us couldn't recognize him or follow him. So it was his pleasure to reveal himself to those who were lowly and to reveal his power through things like surrender, love, and even death. But then his full power was on display in his resurrection, which was the confirmation of Jesus' work being accepted and our sins being atoned for. <coughs> then Paul says, verse 22, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. The Jews were theologically oriented. They wanted miraculous signs and wonders. The Greeks were intellectually oriented. They wanted powerful orations and persuasive arguments. So for the Christians to go around bragging about a crucified savior, this would have gone over like a lead balloon. Right, to the Jews, a Messiah on a cross would not have been the sign and wonder they were looking for. Right, dying on the cross isn't miraculous. 
It's stupid and reckless and a waste. To the Greeks, a dead savior on a cross wasn't persuasive. It wasn't wise. It wasn't powerful. It was foolish, weak, and shameful. <coughs> to say this is a stumbling block is to say that the cross, as our sign of triumph through surrender and death, would not be what the Jews or Greeks were looking for. And it's often not what we're looking for either. Right? When we want victory, we look to the winners among us, right? We look to the strong. But this flips the whole idea of strength on its head, which is kind of reminiscent of our, the idea of courage last week that we talked about. To those who aren't followers of Jesus, this will all look stupid. It will all look foolish. Verse 24, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So then he says here that to those who know Jesus, to those who believe in his resurrection, that he was who he said he was and did what he did, it's these people who will see the wisdom and power of the cross. In verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Uh, this comparison between God's wisdom and, and strength versus our wisdom and strength uh, reminds me of another letter that Paul wrote uh, to this same church, actually, in Corinth a little while later. He says in 2 Corinthians 12, But he, Jesus, said to me, Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, in recovering from the flu. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Not because of my physical capacities, but because of who God is. So basically, the things that seem so foolish at the outset, the things that seem so powerless and weak at first, it's actually the wisdom that we've been looking for all along. It's like someone set out a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle in front of you, having never been a thing before. And you're like, you know what, this looks weird, but I'm in, right? <coughs> and when you do, you find that it was the thing that people have been looking for all along. Except it's like a million times better. <laughs> it seems almost a shame to compare the gospel to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, <laughs> but it works if you don't think about it too much. <clears throat> so we need to understand what Paul's doing here. Uh, when he's talking about the foolishness of God or the cross, uh, it would be as if he, he put like quotation marks around the word foolishness. Because rhetorically, what he's saying is that God's foolishness isn't foolishness at all. It's actually wisdom. That's the twist I mentioned at, at the beginning. We just have to change our mindsets from worldly to spiritual, from selfish to selfless, from comfortable to missional, from cowardice to courage, 
And when those metamorphoses have occurred, we see that the wisdom and power of God is actually inherent in the things that we formerly thought were foolish. One example that comes to my mind of something that seems foolish to the world but is actually the wisdom of God is confession. Everything inside of me screams to keep my sins and screw-ups a secret. Not to acknowledge them publicly. We feel like it will make people think less of us or will damage us in some way. And it might. It might. At least in the short term. But I have found that 100% of the time, it has been worth it. I hate confession. To say all no. It stinks every single time. It lowers my pride. feels gross. But it's always worth it. Confession is the way of God's people. Not just confessing our wrongs to God, but to each other. Seeking reconciliation with others. Making relationships whole. So our metamorphosis here is actually from foolishness of the world to wisdom of the cross. But to those outside of the faith of Jesus, it might look like just the opposite from wisdom to foolishness. But for those of us who believe, this foolishness, air quotes, is the very power of God. The cross shows us his kindness, his justice, his mercy, his love, his vengeance, his power, and his glory all wrapped up in a single rudimentary torture and execution device which has been redeemed to be a symbol of hope to countless millions over the course of history. This would have confronted the traditional wisdom of the day back then, uh, just as it does today. Back then, people wanted to hear incredible speakers with powerful debating skills, big words, persuasive arguments. Which doesn't sound a whole lot different to today's environment and even today's church environment sometimes. But we're not supposed to be about the best preachers. That isn't where our power is. Me, Ryan, I desire to be uh, as faithful and engaging as I can. I, I thoroughly believe that if I preach in a boring way, I'm doing the scriptures a disservice. Because they're fascinating. And the words of life are contained therein. Right? But even if the Lord blesses me to make my words good to whatever degree, it will never matter how good I get. It will never matter how engaging I might be because the power of the church will never be in me. At least it better not. Because I'll be gone someday. I don't know if you knew that. I won't be the pastor here forever. Who knows what will happen next month, next year, or in 20 years, or 200 years. I hope I'm not around. 
I'd love to stay here, personally, for as long as I'm physically able and for as long as you'll have me. <laughs> but I might die someday. I might have to move. <laughs> I, I have dementia in my family. I have no idea what will happen in the future. But we as God's people can rest assured because the power of our church is not in an orator, but in the cross. And the same goes for you in your interactions with others. The power of heart change, the power of his word going out and persuading people to follow him, it's not in your apologetic skills, right? In meaning how well you can defend your faith and answer questions. It's not about your persuasiveness. Jesus and him crucified, buried and raised from the dead is our power. And as long as we focus on that, we will not stumble. I said before in a sermon a while back in our Sermon on the Mount series uh, that perfect obedience is still the standard for us, for God. Perfection is still the standard. And that's scary until we realize that Jesus lived our perfect obedience for us. He lived our perfect obedience for us. And we've said before how our sins demand justice, and the penalty of our sins is death. But Jesus died the death that we should have died because of our sin. And his wisdom was displayed when he rose from the dead, when he showed that his power, his power, put the power of death and of this world to shame. When he showed that his wisdom of self-sacrifice was wiser than all the leaders of the church or governments put together. His resurrection gives us hope for today and forever that we will live with him. And we can rest and take joy in that hope. That the foolishness of the cross is actually what gives us our hope of life and shows us the wisdom and power of God. Have you been putting your faith in something else? Have you been trusting that you'll be good enough for heaven when your time comes? How do we know what good enough even is? Well, if it's anything short of perfection, we're in trouble. But there is hope. There is always hope. And that hope is in the foolishness of the cross. It is the life, death, and resurrection of our Savior. Near the end of this letter, Paul says this. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, 
if Christ has not been raised, then we are found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him from the dead if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people are most to be pitied. Essentially what Paul is saying here, if all this faith does for you is make you feel better while you're here on earth, that faith is worthless. Verse 20, he goes on, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, meaning Adam here, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man, meaning Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. If you have not embraced this foolishness, if you'd like to say, you know what, this, this sounds totally crazy to me. But the craziness is almost what makes it sound right. <laughs> then I would love for you to come talk to me. Maybe not today, right after the service, because I'm going to hide. Because <laughs> I don't want to get anyone sick. But make an appointment with me. I'd love to get together to talk. Talk to any of our leadership team members or staff. Actually, if you're on the leadership team or staff, can you just raise your hand, please, just from where you are? If you would like to have this conversation with anyone, like today after the service, talk to any of the folks with their hands raised. We would love to walk with you as we discover together life in the donkey kingdom, where it's the things that seem foolish at first that turn out to be the wisdom that we've all been